bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's God's will for your life and mine. So study and pray to learn how to properly raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And don't expect miracles overnight. It does take doing a good job over a lot of time to see good results. Well, welcome to parenting. One of the most common things in the world is a family. Um, Mom, dad, and kids. But there are many different combinations. Uh, Not every family has a mom and a dad. Some families have only a single parent, either a mom or a dad. There are families that are blended families. And what we mean is mom and dad have come together each having children from a previous marriage. There are families where one or all of the children have been adopted. And so families come in a variety of sizes and shapes, and I'm not even going to try to enumerate or list all of the variations. Instead, what I want to do today is I want to look at one common basic type of family, a husband, a wife, and children. That's what I want to do today. Now, I want you to know right up front that Um, my wife and I, we do not even pretend to be the world's experts on parenting. We have cried out to God so many times for, for help. We've searched the Bible so many, many times for wisdom in parenting. Now, God has allowed us to be married for almost 42 years. He's allowed us to successfully raise three children. And our children have so far given us eight grandchildren. Now, think about this. God himself is our father. We're his children. And that means that God is also a parent. And God knows everything there is to know about parenting. There's nothing he does not know. And I believe he wants to teach us how to be good parents if we'll let him teach us. And so with that bit of background, I'd like to talk about parenting in three easy steps. Do you have that? Uh, that's right. Put that overhead up there. All right. Good. So there's our topic. Let's bow our heads and pray. And now our Heavenly Father, we ask for your special mercy. We ask that you would enlighten our hearts and help us, Lord, to know your will. Help us to know you most of all. May that be the greatest study that anyone ever does is to know God. Bless us with increased faith and love and patience and wisdom. Glorify yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, before we go much further, you may be thinking that we misspelled the word parenting. But it's spelled that way on purpose. It's to help us to remember three easy steps about parenting. But I'll be honest with you, parenting is often not easy. At least we haven't found it so. Maybe there is some family out there where it was just a breeze and the children turned out perfect and everything, you know, could be just heaven on earth. But we didn't find it quite like that. But I do want to give you three steps. Step number one begins with a pair. A pair. Parenting begins with a pair. You see? You see all, you all see that? The pair. So you need a pair. Now, take your Bible and open to the New Testament, Gospel of Mark. So open there now, would you please? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter 10. 
Mark chapter 10, we will read verses 6 to 9 all together. Folks watching on home, at home, we'd like to ask you to read along with us. And if you read out loud, we might be able to hear you. We'll try. So, Mark chapter 10, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. All right, these are the words of our Lord Jesus. So, let's read out loud now. Everyone reading. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So it's very important, very important for us to, to, um, to realize that every, this, this begins as a, a couple. A couple. A couple. And as a couple, uh, you need to make the most of your time together before the children arrive. It's so important. Love often begins as if it were magic. Have you ever stopped and think about what is it that uh, draws two people together? You know, those thousand violins they, they say that we hear, or the little, you know, stardust or whatever, when we meet the right one. You know, maybe your eyes met from across the room. Maybe someone introduced you to each other. Uh, maybe you turned a corner and there he was or there she was. And often there's sort of like a, a bit of magic, if you will. But I want you to know, and you probably know this, true love requires work. Your romance may have begun as a fairy tale romance, but it will only last as a loving, responsible relationship. That's the only way it'll last. Otherwise, it's going to be a Hollywood romance, married today, divorced tomorrow, and then on to the next one the next day. So here in Mark chapter 10, the Lord Jesus is telling us that a couple comes together and they become one flesh. In the eyes of God, they're one flesh. That's quite an amazing statement. Imagine that. They're like two people in one body. Two lives living as if they were one. Now, this takes some getting used to. I have a little experience in this area. Many of you do also. It takes time. It takes some work. But it's vitally, vitally important that the two become one. Sadly, some couples don't really know each other that well. Even after 10 years of marriage, they don't know each other. It's important that couples take the time. They need to get to know each other so they can become strong and so that the marriage can last. You need to establish, in my opinion, you need to establish a date night. Before you were married, you had these dates and be together. Well, after the marriage, you need to maintain that. You need to have a date night maybe once a week and you need to do your best to protect it from interruptions. I highly recommend that all married couples attend marriage seminars. Our church has a marriage seminar every year. We do this for the married folks. And it will help improve your marriage. I suggest that couples learn to share the areas of weakness they have with each other. 
That's important. You really fall deeply in love with someone when you know that they've got your back. When they know the weakest areas of your life and yet they hold them secure. We need to learn as couples to share our areas of weakness and fear one with another. But remember, these areas need to be held in strictest confidence. They need to be held sacred. It's not something that you could ever tell to anyone else. It's only something, the most intimate of secrets between you and your spouse. Hold it sacred. My wife and I, a few weeks ago, we were ministering in Hawaii on the island of Maui. We were there for a week and we managed to get a little bit of sightseeing in. We had the privilege of going up in a little airplane and we went around, flew around the island. But something that um, the pilot told us, when we came to this uh, area, we were going to land at this little uh, airstrip and she told us, you see that big area, stretch, big area of grass? She said, that is a sacred burial ground to the native Hawaiian people. We are not allowed to fly over it. And sure enough, we had to fly around it. We couldn't fly over it. And those areas of intimacy and weakness and fear that you share with your spouse, same thing. It is sacred, sacred ground. Now, all this is so important that a husband and wife learn to do that because they will really feel like they've become two people in one body, one flesh. So this is just my suggestion to you that you do this. I think that it's uh, something that will greatly, greatly improve your marriage. Deal with any fears you may have in having children or raising children. Decide how you want to raise the children. This, these are things that need to be done, I think, before the children come. Uh, remember that uh, children come from God and need to be treated with much love and much care. When my wife and I got married back in 1981, we went down to Florida, to Miami, for our honeymoon. We went into this little Italian ice cream shop. And I'm telling you, it was a little. It was um, maybe um, a, a quarter of the size of this platform here. It was just a tiny little shop. And this uh, older Italian gentleman... Um, he found out that we were on our honeymoon. Oh, you want to you honeymoon, he said. Oh, he said. And he got a picture, a black and white picture of him and his wife. They were married back in, I don't know, 19, 1840 or 1940 or something. And the black and white photo. And that's me and the mama. And he says, hey, mama, come on out. And she came out and uh, we got to meet her. And then he said to my wife and I, I give you some advice wait before you have children. He's, I'm not imitating him very well here, but he said to us, wait, we never forgot this, his advice. Wait, wait before you have a children. Wait for maybe five months. But if they come sooner, take them. That was his advice to us. And so I say, if they come sooner, take them. But if you can wait a little bit, wait a little more than four or five months. But get to know each other. Very important. I suggest all married couples establish a family altar. Even though the kids aren't there, establish a family altar. Daily devotions. Why? So you can both grow spiritually. So that God will be honored in your home. Read the Bible and pray together. 
Establish regular, weekly church attendance. Why? So that God can richly bless you. It is absolutely vital that you both grow spiritually. Sadly, sometimes after the marriage, he'll stop going to church. Or she'll stop going to church. It happens. You both need to go. All right, that's step number one is the pair. Now, step number two in parenting is the renting. And uh, there we go. The renting. The renting of children. You notice in the picture that we got a little bambino there in the middle there. See that? This, this is when the children come. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn back to the Old Testament book of Psalms. It's around the middle of the Bible. Psalms 127. Psalm 127. There we are. Psalm 127. We're going to read one verse together. Psalm 127. Verse number 3. Verse number 3. Psalm 127, verse number 3. Read it out loud with me, please, now. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. I want you to know that God is the author of life. Every person, man, woman, has come into this world because God has allowed it. God is the author of life. He is the ultimate author of life because God is the one who gives the spark of life. Scientists in their laboratories with their test tubes cannot create life. Only God can create life. No one has ever slipped into this world without God's knowledge. God knows every single person, even those people who died in birth or died in their mummy's tummy. God knows them. He knew everything about them, every molecule of their body, everything about them. It's God who gives the spirit that makes up body, soul, and spirit. It's that third element there that animates our body. You see, that's why in the Bible, the word spirit or ghost, it's referring to the same entity, but it talks about two different aspects or jobs of that one entity. You know, the Holy Spirit is often called the Holy Ghost, right? They're sometimes used interchangeably. The Holy Spirit talks about who He is. The Holy Ghost talks about His power and ability. When someone in the Bible dies, you'll often see the words, they gave up the, what? Ghost. They gave up the ghost. It's because that spirit, that third part, has stopped animating the body. There is no more life left. The heart stops pumping. The body dies. That spirit goes back to God. The body we put in the ground. The person or the soul. Folks, you and I, we are a soul in a body. We're not a body that happens to have a soul. We're a soul that happens to have a body right now. You are living inside the body. If you are born again, if you are saved, according to what Jesus said, you must be born again. If you're born again, when you leave the body, you'll go to heaven and be with the Lord. If you are not born again, you're still lost and in your sins, when you die and leave the body, you'll end up in hell. 
That's pretty bad news, isn't it? But the good news is that no one need go there because God has made a way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. Every one of us. He was buried and rose again the third day. He's alive. Hallelujah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. That means to give your heart to Jesus, to receive him as your savior. Should not perish. That means to end up in hell, but have everlasting life. That means to be in heaven. So it's simple. Sometimes we complicate things. We try to bring works in there, baptism or communion. Well, I've been baptized. I take communion. You know, I'm a member of the church. Uh, That should be good enough. Sorry, no. That's like expecting your toaster to get you to work on time. That's not going to happen, is it? You can expect toast from your toaster, but don't expect your toaster to work like the family vehicle. It just doesn't, it's not meant to. Even if it's made by Tesla, a Tesla toaster, okay? All right. Still not going to help you out. Hmm? You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 3, we're told that children are in heritage and a reward from God. God is the author of all life. Children are only loaned to us, parents. We only have them for a short period of time, and in a manner of speaking, we rent them. And I say rent because of all the money it costs to raise a kid these days. It's always cost, you know, money to raise kids, but these days? Now, in 2021, the Canadian government published a statistic, and they said there were 359,533 babies born into Canadian families. How many here had a baby born in Canada within, since, since uh, well, in 2021? Anyone? 2021, your child was born? Nobody? You, yes? Okay, then you're part of the statistic. The Canadian government had you in mind when they wrote that. So... You're one of the 359,533 babies that were born in Canada. Now, according to the website insertinary.ca, the average cost of raising children right now is between ten dollars and $15,000 per year. This includes food, clothing, diapers, daycare, bus passes, school bus fees, school supplies, school trips, computers, memberships, summer camps, birthday parties, babysitting, and extracurricular activities. Now, if we were to take the higher number, 15000 a year, and we use it as a standard cost, and we'll assume that that cost will not increase over the next 20 years, which is impossible because it will, inflation, right? But let's pretend it doesn't. 15000 a year times 20 years, the cost to raise one child till so he or she is 20 years of age, $300,000. You have two children? $600,000. Pastor Tim, how many children do you have? <laughs> you have $900,000 worth of children. Yeah. You see why we say we rent the kids? All of the cost, all of the money. And folks, this, this does not include housing. The cost of a three-bedroom home to raise all these kids in. 
So these and other costs constantly remind us that we're only renting our children for a period of time. Now on an average, you'll have your children for about 20 years before they move out. Of course, things can happen that uh, will cause them to leave sooner or they may stay longer or they may never move out. But figure an average of 20 years. Now, these 20 years can be subdivided into several smaller sections. So in very basic terms only, in the first three years of life, children are like sponges. And they're soaking up their environment all around them. And by the way, by age of three, now anyone here have a child three years of age? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Any three-year-olds? No? Okay, by three years of age, your child's personality is finished. It's set. What they're going to have for the rest of their life, it's done by three years of age. There are rare exceptions to that. But by three years of age, what you see is what you got. And boy, they can start expressing what's on their mind at three years of age, can't they? Yeah, how many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Ages four to five, the children are exploring the world around them and they're very creative and very inventive. If you want to see if something can really be destroyed, give it to a kid. If you want to see if, you know, anyone can really, you know, get out of that room or get in, ask your kid. They are so inventive. Our kids, you know, when they were young, we'd put them to bed. Now stay there, you're supposed to stay there. And so they kept sneaking out. So I put up this little electronic thing that would go beep, beep, you know, when they, the kids would come out. My kids learned how to climb on the wall like a gecko or a spider or something and get around that. I couldn't believe it. They are smart. Ages 6 to 12, the children... They're growing, they're learning, they're interacting with other children and with adults. And it's during this period that they usually develop skills and hobbies and likes and dislikes that will often last all through their lives. Now I saw something I wanted to share with you. Prince William's wife, Kate Middleton, she's really into child raising. And she herself, she's got three kids, ages 9, 7, and 4. And here's what she says. The relationships in a family or that surrounding a child is so important. The environment in which you bring up a child is as important as, well, as the experience in which you engage them with. It's not about the number of toys they've got or the number of sort of trips that you go on with them. It's just making sure that they've got the right emotional support around them that comes from the adults in their lives. I thought that was a pretty good quote. I, I do not know if uh, Prince William and Princess Kate uh, are born again, saved, know the Lord. I don't know. I hope they do. But I thought that was a bit of wisdom there coming from the, the princess. Well, ages 13 to 18. Anyone here have teenagers? Now, please, don't be ashamed. I've been there myself. Okay, a few of us. Here we go. Ages 13 and 18 can experience big, capital B, big, physical and hormonal changes. 
And moms will tell you this. It was just yesterday I was looking at my children and now today I'm looking at those same kids. What happened? Well, they grew, of course. It's as normal as, you know, falling off a stool. But uh, boy, does it ever surprise us sometimes. And here it is. Their personalities can change drastically overnight. It's amazing what we get to witness firsthand under our roofs. It's during this stage of life that they try hard to establish their own identities. And by the way, this is just something that I've learned by experience, that it's during this stage of 13 to 18, it's during this stage in which you can see how good a job you did with them in the first 12 years. If you're the type that you look at your kids, oh yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, and you're just concentrating on everything else, everything's not going to be fine one day. They're going to turn 13 and they're going to change. And they're going to come down to the dinner table or the breakfast table or something and you're going to look at them and you're going to say, who are you? And what have you done with my son? They're going to change like that. Now some of you know what I'm talking about. Many teenagers and parents will experience painful confrontations during this period. Some of the confrontations will smooth out, while others will blow up. These can be stressful years for parents and kids. Now, we move to the ages of 19 and 20. Remember, at 20, they, off they go. At least that's what the statistic says. So they begin college, or maybe they start a career. And maybe they'll even start looking around for that significant other and see who they can marry. And at this time, they might move out and they might settle down. Hopefully. Now again, things don't always go according to plan. Things don't always happen this way in this order or in this time frame. There's always exceptions and differences. Plenty of exceptions. But the renting part of parenting can be overwhelming at times. And so parents, if you're stressed out some days, I know what you're going through. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the ripped t-shirt. I know a little bit about it. One of our biggest problems though, and I share this with you, one of our biggest problems tends to be that we tend to raise our children the way we were raised. We'll tend to do as was done unto us. Now the problem is, if what was done unto us wasn't God's way, then we will tend to duplicate that and we won't raise our kids God's way either. It is so important that we learn God's way if we want God's results. Now, I would like to ask you to turn to the left in the Bible near the beginning, the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, would you turn there please? Chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Now, in teaching children to, uh, to know the Lord, to, to know about God, to follow God, in teaching children to do that, sometimes parents will ask, well, that sounds like a, a big task, a big job. How often do I have to teach my kids? Well, according to the Bible, there's only four times that you need to teach your children. There's only four times, and I want you to see if you can find those four times. 
as we read together verses 4 to 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll begin at verse 4, we'll finish at verse 7. Here we go, let's read out loud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now count the four. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So what are the four, the only four times you have to teach your children? Here they are here. When you sit down, when you're walking, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That's it. So simple. Bottom line is you're always teaching your children. And they are um, soaking it in. They're watching you. The children will watch how you speak to others at church. And they'll watch how you speak to the neighbors at home. And if they see a difference, they're going to grow up. And they're going to think that church and the things of God are only for Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. And the rest of the time, you live the way you want to live. Someone said these wise words, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Some people have said, and maybe you've heard it, do as I say, not as I do. That's a cop-out. How can we tell that to our children? Well, don't pattern your life after me. Do what I tell you to do. That's a cop-out. Children will pattern us. In fact, they'll take our sins even further. They'll be worse than what we are. We have to be the real deal. And we can be if we let the Lord have his way in our hearts. So this is very important. If we fail to do it God's way, we cannot expect to get the good results that God promises. Therefore, read the Bible. Look for wisdom on how to raise children. I want to suggest these two things. Number one, let the children grow up with a family altar in the home. Have a regular daily time where you get together you read some Bible, you pray. You pray for neighbors, you pray for people. Make it interesting to the kids. Teach the great stories of the Bible to the children. Teach them about Noah and about Samson. Hmm? Teach them about uh, King, uh, King David and Goliath. And make applications to their lives so they can understand it. And then pray together. Let the children grow up with a family altar in the house. Number two, let the children grow up in church. That's very important. Let the children make friends with other kids their own age at church. You're going to be further ahead having friends of your kids at church rather than friends of your kids in the world. Because worldly kids will pull your kids away from God. 
That's the way it works. There's a story to illustrate. There's a story about a man who had a dirt pile in his backyard. He had a dirt pile in his backyard and he didn't like it. So what he did was he bought himself a pair of white gloves. Perfect white patent leather gloves. Perfect. He put them on. He went in the backyard and he played with the dirt. Hoping that the dirt would become glovey. But what ended up happening was the gloves became dirty. That's how it works. When you send your children out to play with wicked worldly kids, they will come back with wicked worldly ways. Let your kids grow up in church. Let your kids grow up with a family altar. I suggest also you talk to other Christian parents. I suggest you read good Christian books on child raising. Remember to protect your children from the harmful influences of the world and the devil. And these days, you'll find it all on the internet. One of the worst things you can do is set your kid up with his or her own computer in his or her own bedroom with unrestricted access to the internet. You may as well put a gun to your head. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's God's will for your life and mine. So study and pray to learn how to properly raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And don't expect miracles overnight. It does take doing a good job over a lot of time to see good results. Okay, we have to move on to step number three of parenting. And believe it or not, it's the pair again. Yeah. You see, the children have moved out. And you're a pair once again. Now, this second occurrence of pair is invisible. It's not seen in the word parenting, right? But it's there. You just can't see it. It's hidden. Your children have now grown. They're off living their own lives. They have their own careers. Maybe they have their own families. You go back to being a pair. And the house seems empty. And then people start calling you empty nesters. Because your nest is now empty. And you smile. But inside it's... Uh, they're right, you know. All your child renting days, all of your opportunities with the kids are now over. No more picnics with your little children. No more tea parties. No more problems that only mom or dad can solve. No more big outings like going to McDonald's. The big outing for kids. No more big outing like a day at the lake. And you may begin to feel empty and alone as a pair. You may even begin to experience sorrows and regrets and guilts. And you may wish that you could turn the clock back 10 or 20 years and redo those years. Only this time you'd do them better and you'd appreciate them more, wouldn't you? Everyone that has younger children, 
are usually told these words, enjoy them because they grow so quick. And everyone with young children always responds, yeah, I know, yeah. But they don't really know. But one day they will. And all of a sudden, those little pixies are now parents of their own. And you say, how did that happen? How did that, what just happened? You see, none of us can turn back the clock. Your little puppies are now growing adults. Well, what can you do when you end up being a pair again? We can't turn back the hands of time, but we can turn to the Lord and rely upon Him because the truth is the Lord saw that invisible word when you and I could only see parenting. God knew there was another word there. He could see it, whereas we couldn't. It was hidden in parentheses. It was the fine print on the contract that we didn't notice. But God saw it. And when we become a pair again, that's when we need to rely on the Lord. We need to trust in Him. We need to spend more time with God because He could see when the second pair would arrive. We should take this opportunity to grow spiritually. We should take this opportunity to start serving the Lord a little more. You're not dead and useless. You are incredibly experienced. You've got a lot you can offer. Start to serve the Lord a little bit more. By the way, your growing children, they still need a mom and a dad. They still need mom and dad praying for them. They still need good counsel and wisdom from mom and dad, even though they don't ask for it today. And they may have to stumble and fall a few times before the phone rings. Mom, what do you think I should do? But they still have the needs. And you've got the goods. If you'll do it God's way. If you'll rely on the Lord. In fact, I think that when you're a pair, when you become a pair again, it's a good time to prepare to be grandparents. I think when uh, our daughter and son-in-law had uh, pregnant with their, uh, their first child, the way they told us was they took us to A&W and bought me a papa, no, a grandpa burger. I didn't order that. And I noticed my wife had a grandma burger. I think that's what they call them, isn't it? And I looked at that, and I looked at mine, and I looked at them, and they were grinning. Ah! Well, Proverbs 17.6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men. <laughs> so there, <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Grandparenting, I think, is a wonderful experience. If... We do it God's way. And yes, there's a way that we should do it and there's plenty of ways we shouldn't. Conclusion. We've got to close up here. Parenting is not as easy as it may look sometimes. If you're on the outside looking in, you might say, oh boy, it looks so simple. What, what problem could there be? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, 
Parents that are trying to do a good job absolutely need our support. They need our encouragement. They need our prayers. They need a little sympathy, a little elbow room. Kids sometimes misbehave in public. Have we learned that one yet? You go to the grocery store, and what do they put right at the checkout? All those kitty goodies. And your kitties got them in their hands, and their little fists. I want, I want. No, you can't. And then World War, you know, begins, right? So there's ways to handle that before you get into it. But I mean, oh, feel sorry for the parents. Because, uh, you know, it's thrust upon us, it feels at times. It's always a good idea to encourage your parents. If you are able, I mean, if you're older than three or four years of age, if you're able to encourage your parents, you ought to do that. If If you're lucky enough, your parents are still alive, you're lucky. Mine are both gone. I'm officially an orphan. Mine are gone. Maybe yours are still alive. Praise the Lord. Why don't you encourage them? Why don't you call up mom and dad and just tell them out of the blue. You know, I was thinking about you. Pastor was talking about parenting. I got thinking about you. And I just want to thank you for being my mom. Thank you for being my dad. Oh, but I wasn't the greatest parent. You were the parent God wanted me to have. And I thank God for you. Didn't take long, did it? Boy, you will encourage your mom and dad. That's why I say, if you're a little older than three or four, imagine if, uh, if Titus came up to you, Pastor Tim, and said, Father, I want to thank you for being my dad. You're the best dad in the world, and I think you've done a great job in raising me. Thank you. That would seem a little odd. But it wouldn't be so odd if you did that to your dad. Right? You see, the truth is, There are two very important verses we read earlier today in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read them for you. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Some of us grown-ups are still dragging around baggage of anger, frustration, bitterness over mom and dad and the things they did or didn't do and for my seventh birthday, I wanted that pony, and what did I get instead? Uh, yeah, boy, and you're carrying that all these years. Or maybe, listen, honestly, maybe your mom or dad were real part-time monsters. I don't know. Maybe you got abused terribly growing up, and you figure, well, if anyone has a right to be bitter, it's me. But I'd like to remind you that you are called upon to live by faith, and God will honor you and bless you if you, by faith, honor your mom and dad. Now, that might be a real struggle for someone here today. You might say, oh, but it's been 20 years and all I've harbored is anger and bitterness. Well, then you go to the Lord and you ask for help. Lord, I know what your word says. It says I'm to honor my mom and dad, but I can't for the life of me. All I think of when I think of them, all I think of is all the misery they put me through. You need God's help. You need God to soften your heart. You need to remember how much God had to forgive in your life. And now God is asking you to forgive them. And by faith, tell them you love them. If you will do that, God will honor you and bless you in so many ways. And by the way, what about our Heavenly Father? Anyhow, if you're here today and you're born again, you've had that born again experience, you've received Christ by faith, 
Jesus is in your heart. You know it. You know heaven is your home. You know God is your Father. He is your heavenly Father. How can we honor Him? What can you do with your life that will honor your heavenly Father? This year we've been talking about upgrading. Upgrades, upgrades. What can you do with your life? How can you upgrade your life so as to honor God a little bit more? And possibly you're here today, you've never actually been born again. You're a nice person, one of the nicest people to walk the face of God's green earth. But maybe you've never actually been born again. Maybe you've grown up in church, maybe you've read the Bible, maybe you've prayed but you've never repented of your sin and asked Jesus to forgive you your sin and to be your personal Savior and your best friend. Well, you could do that today. That would be the best way you could upgrade your life for God is to do that today. I encourage you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for prayer? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.